And uh, I'm really excited about him coming up and uh, speaking. So, Joey, can you uh, come up here? This is Joey Ellis. Let's give him a hand. Joey's going to preach to us this morning, uh, and we are very excited about what he has to say. So let us hear what the Word of God has for us. Hello, hello, There we go. Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? My name is Joey. Like Stephen said, I am a leader at Young Life. These are some guys over here. Our other leader, area director, that's my mom, Kelly. Um, But yeah, Pastor Steve introduced me pretty well, so thanks for that. Um, Today we're going to be in John chapter 4. If you all got Bibles, you can pull those out and turn to John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 21, um, because that's where I want most of our focus to be, 21 through 24. And while you're all turning there, I'll pray for us. Dear Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for bringing the sun back for a little bit. You know I needed it. Um, I pray that today you give me a mouth to speak and give us, including myself, ears to hear, and that what you want to say is made clear. Amen. So, John chapter 4, verse 21. Read with me, por favor. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father speaks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. So this is a little excerpt taken from the story of the Samaritan woman, um, and we're going to go through the whole story. But I wanted to focus on this right here because this is a formula for worship that Jesus gives the woman, but also us, the lucky readers. Uh, Worship, true worship, is in spirit and truth. And Jesus highlights that because it's very important. And this is a theme that is throughout the entire Samaritan story that I never really noticed until I started taking a closer look. But the woman's transformation, which we'll go over, go over, is all about finding spirit and truth so she can have that true form of worship. But another theme that I also want to focus on is the enemy of true worship, which is norms. I was trying to think of the right word. I started with traditions, and then I went to rules, and then regulations, but those are all good things. Even some norms are good, but they can hinder us from true worship. I got the definition of what a norm is right here, so we're on the same page. A norm is a standard or pattern, especially of social behavior, that is typical or expected of a group. I'll read it one more time. A standard or pattern, especially of social behavior, that is typical or expected of a group. And the woman in the story, she's afflicted by the norms of society, um, the personal norms she's put on herself, and the religious norms from a society that doesn't really know what they're truly worshiping. And Jesus, throughout the entire story, shows how unconcerned he is with our norms. He doesn't care what society is doing. He doesn't care about what's typical or expected. What he cares about is true worship with spirit and truth. The first norm he breaks is in verse 4. You can hop over to verse 4 real quick. We only get four verses in when he starts changing the system a little bit. Verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. 
had being the key word. Most of you probably already know this, but so we're all on the same page. Samaria is not a place Jesus would have gone if he was a typical Jew, if he was going with the norms. He was in Judea at the time and wanted to go up to Galilee. And there's the spot in Samaria that he had to get through. Most Jews would go around Samaria because they did not like Samaritans. Samaritans, to an average Hebrew of that time, was a half-breed. They intermarried with another nation and brought in other beliefs and religious systems that the Jews didn't agree with. And because of that, they just completely isolated them to their area. The typical journey from Judea to Galilee, if you were to go through Samaria, was about three days. Going around takes about six-ish. And that was worth it. It was worth to double your trip just to avoid those people. But Jesus here in verse 4 says he had to go through Samaria, not, well, he decided to go through because the journey would be a little bit shorter and save some walking distance. He went through because he had to, because he has to reach everybody. And Jesus isn't concerned with norms, and so he keeps breaking them. When he meets this woman, she's totally into what society expects her to be. We'll keep reading. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, And I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It wasn't just that Jews didn't associate with Samaritans. It was considered unclean to drink from the same cup or bowl as a Samaritan. So if a Jew were to, like if Jesus takes the woman's cup and drinks from it, he's now considered unclean. And you would be shunned until you got rid of that uncleanliness. And so even just... Having a same sip of water from a cup would consider you unclean because these people were so hated by Jews. And this woman, she's, it's a valid question. How can you ask me for a drink? Because she's not used to this. She's not used to somebody coming up, especially a Jew, and asking her for water. Um, she's more of an outcast than just being a Samaritan, which we'll get into as we continue through the story. But her question is valid because she's not used to this kind of treatment from Jews. She's used to the norm. She's used to a a Jew avoiding her, possibly attacking her. I mean, she's not used to just being treated as a normal person. But Jesus isn't concerned with norms, and so he treats everybody how they should be treated. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is offering her a way out of the norms, and she doesn't even know it yet. Jesus likes being cryptic, and sometimes it doesn't come off very well. Um, He's not always willing to give it to us straight, but it's because he wants us to understand it. He doesn't want to just hand it to us on a plate. So this woman goes through the process of understanding to pull herself out of that life. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jacob's well, I think, in this story represents the social norms that we adhere to, the old water that we just keep coming back to because this is where we get water. This is how we've always done things. This is how it just works. And Jesus is saying, I can offer you something different than the way the world works, and it will create a spring. It's not just a little bit of living water, a little sip. It's a a fountain that wells up to eternal life, that changes the way you do things, that changes your norms. So the woman, probably in jest, I'm sure she's not really being serious, she kind of humors Jesus and says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to get thirsty and keep coming here to draw water. And Jesus takes her request seriously. Go call your husband and come back. And this is the first step to true worship of spirit and truth. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. It's almost as if Jesus telling this to her is part of the process. He offers living water. She says, yeah, okay, give it to me. He's like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Go get your husband, and I'll give it to you. He knew. He knew what she was dealing with, obviously. He just put it all out there. And it's almost as if the first step of receiving spirit and truth is to accept our personal norms that we live with. It's the first part of the worship formula. I think if we went back to the first question that she asked Jesus and rephrased it, it becomes a little more relatable. In verse 9, she asked, How can you ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. But I think an underlying question that she didn't truly ask is, How can you ask me, the woman with five husbands, who has been shamed five times, who is an outcast in a society that's already on the fringes. How are you asking me for a drink? You don't know who I am. Because in this culture, when you were divorced, the woman couldn't initiate the divorce. It was always the man. And it wasn't just a little divorce in private where nobody really knew. You like, you know, we got separated. Oh, I didn't know that. Everybody knew. Because he had to take his wife out into the public and say, I rebuke thee, and tell everybody why she was rebuked. It could be for anything. Anything the woman did wrong was reasonable enough for a man to divorce his wife. So this woman, five times, was brought out into public and disgraced. It wasn't just she was unfaithful. It could have been for no good reason, but the man just decided, I don't want you anymore, and I'm going to let everybody know you failed in your role as a wife. And so we don't just have to get rid of societal norms. We have to get rid of our personal norms, too, because this woman isn't accepting what Jesus has to offer because deep down she knows nobody wants me in my own town, in a town that isn't accepted. How could you accept me? How could you ask me for a drink? And we do this to ourselves all the time. How could you accept me? Because you don't know what I've done, Jesus. You don't know the sin I struggle with every day. You don't know that thing I did five years ago. You can't possibly know or else you wouldn't ask me. You wouldn't ask me to do this. A little example in my own life that is, I'm sure, trivial compared to what you all have gone through. But after high school, I found the Lord and took a more serious approach to life because I had been going through the motions as a kid. And once I graduated high school, uh, my mother became the area director for Young Life. 
and she asked me to be a Young Life leader. And I was like, I was down to do it, but the question that I asked Jesus was, you want me to lead them? Kids I just went to high school with, people I was just making mistakes with, people that know things about me that they probably shouldn't know about a leader. You want me to go teach kids not to do things that I just finished doing three months ago? You're asking me? But he, he took me seriously, and he's like, yeah, I'm asking you. And I was like, okay, okay. If I'm going to be a leader, much like this woman, I give him a half-truth. I said, I need to stop lusting. And he said, okay, you lust, that's a half-truth. What about the pride and the insecurity and the jealousy that underlie all those things? And I got called out. I got called out. But Jesus runs with our half-truths. See, this woman, she didn't lie. Jesus didn't call her out for saying, you liar. You have five husbands. Why didn't you tell me? He said, you're right. You don't have a husband. Thanks. Thank you for telling me that. The beautiful thing is that you don't have to tell him everything. He's going to tell you. All you have to do is give him that little bit, and he's going to tell you everything. You don't have a husband. You have five ex-husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband. You just have to open the door a crack, and he's going to open it all the way. Why? Because he wants us to have true worship. He wants us to experience the Spirit, experience truth. He wants us to have that fountain, but we keep holding ourselves back with our own norms. You know, people like me, they don't do ministry. People like me don't lead worship. People like me don't do missions trips. I don't fit the bill. And Jesus says, I don't care. I really don't care. You can't tell me she's not feeling the Spirit right now. She just witnessed the conviction, the sovereignty, and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. There's no way she's having this moment and saying, oh yeah, big whoop. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks, Jesus. Heard it a million times, you know. This random guy knows everything. That has to affect her in some way. And so she's got that first part of our formula of spirit and truth, of true worship. She's got the spirit. She might not have a accepted it into her heart completely, but she's experiencing it for sure. I know I would. Gosh, I know I would. And because of this spirit, she's willing to go deeper and accept the truth because we can't have true worship without spirit and truth. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Stop right there real quick. It's because of the Spirit that she feels compelled to find out the truth. I know once I accepted Jesus, truly, personally, once I accepted true worship, I had a yearning for truth. I wanted to know as much as I can. I still do. I still am just, like, pouring over this passage was so much fun because I've learned so many things. And it's because of the Spirit that I feel motivated to do that. And the reason true worship is Spirit and truth is because You can't have one without the other. Too much truth creates this strict guidelines of rules and checklists and rights and wrongs. Too much spirit, you're all over the place, man. You don't know know what's going on. All you know is like, I think this is good. This feels great. No joke. Kind of a funny story. And this is why we need truth is because I had a friend in high school when I was young. It was first year of high school. Um, who would go to youth groups and we'd be like, you know, praising Jesus. And they'd be crying and screaming and like, 
you know, they'd be getting prayed over and they'd be like getting words from God. They had so much spirit. And then, no joke, now they are a Satanist. And that is what happens when we don't have truth. Because spirit is so important. We need, we need to feel. We need to have life. But we need to have it controlled. The spirit won't lead you astray. Of course not. But because we're fallen creatures with our own feelings and our own desires, they get in the way sometimes. And you need the truth to be able to, to discern what's spirit and what's me. But you need the spirit to discern what's truth and what isn't. And that's what we're getting into now. Because she needs that second part. And Jesus gives her the truth. Woman, or let, we go to verse 22. He gives her the truth. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. And we can stop there real quick. Because doctrine isn't wrong. Of course not. Jesus preached against false doctrine and false prophets throughout his ministry. But doctrine that separates and makes him only exclusive to some, that's what he's against. And so here he's willing to call her out and say, yeah, you Samaritans, you don't, you don't worship what you know. Another reason that Jews didn't like Samaritans was because they had religious differences. They had difference in doctrine. Jews believed in the entirety of the Old Testament, the prophetic books of Isaiah, Jeremiah, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. But the Samaritans, they only believed in the first five. It was the first five, that was it, the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. After that, none of that mattered to them. It wasn't biblical. And they believed Moses was the last prophet. And they were waiting for a prophet like Moses to return, but it wasn't in the same way that the Jews were waiting for their Messiah to come. And so, even though they got it wrong, the Jews still avoided them because they got it wrong. They weren't willing to go alongside them and teach them how. And so this is why we need truth. Because we need truth to identify false doctrine. We need to know when we got it right and when we got it wrong. We can't just go based solely off feelings because our feelings are misleading. And because of the Spirit, we can identify the truth. But Jesus also here is saying, if we keep reading, let's go to verse 21. I skipped verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and His worshipers must worship in the spirit, and in truth. And so what he's saying is, yeah, you guys don't, you're worshiping something that's kind of wacky, something that's not true. But there's going to be a time where you don't have to go to Jerusalem. Because of Jesus, because of his spirit and his truth, I can access him whenever, wherever. I don't need to climb a mountain. I don't need to go to Jerusalem. I don't even need to be in a church building. I can be at work. I can be at school. I can be in the woods. I can I can be wherever, and because of spirit and truth, because of true worship, I can access him wherever. And what Jesus is saying here is you got it wrong, but so do they in a sense. Their doctrine is correct, but they're excluding me. There's a whole society that won't go to Jerusalem because, one, the Jews wouldn't let them, and two, they think they're so right, you know? There's a problem with thinking we know what's going on. 
if we go a chapter back to chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. But Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He meets with Jesus um, on a rooftop at night. And in his first words to Jesus, he calls him a rabbi. He says, we know you are a good teacher. Coming in like he knows everything. We know you're a good teacher. You're a rabbi. Don't worry. I got it covered. I know what's going on. You don't have to introduce yourself to me. And at the end of the story, he doesn't get it. We never find out if he truly gets it. At the end of this story, spoiler alert, she gets it. She finds out. Sorry to ruin that for you. No more twist. But she gets it. She gets it at the end. And the difference between her and Nicodemus is she had no idea who this guy was at first. She didn't come in acting like she knew truth. And that's why we need truth alongside spirit. Because just like, you know, the Spirit's calling me this way. I know this is the way to go. And it's like, eh, eh, hold on, hold on, you need some truth. Just like if we have truth and we know what the right thing to do is. This is how our church has always done it. This is how worship is always supposed to go. This is how a preacher should look, should talk, should act. We limit worship. We limit living water. And we limit Jesus' ability to move in our lives because we act like we got it covered. Don't worry, Jesus, I got it covered. Don't worry. But that's not what he's offering. He doesn't care if you got it covered because he knows you don't. He knows I don't, that's for sure. Ooh. And that's why it's so important. And that's why you need both. The truth highlights the spirit. The spirit highlights the truth. And now that she's experienced both of them, that's when she's willing to get the whole truth because she still doesn't know who this guy is. And that's very important. It's a very key aspect of knowing Jesus. Imagine if she went super hyped. He told me everything I ever did. And they're like, all right, who was he? I didn't catch his name. (laughs) You didn't catch his name. Nope, but he was some random guy. Told me everything I ever did. Super cool, right? Yeah, I guess. But there's no continuous relationship with somebody you don't know. And that's why she needs that final revelation. And she's almost there. She's willing to admit she's almost there in verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She's right there. She says, yeah, I know. I know spirit and truth. I know true worship. I'm ready to accept this living water once the Messiah comes. And here's the twist I spoiled for you. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am the guy that's offering you living water. I am the guy you're waiting for. Now she has no excuse. There's no excuse not to dive into true worship because he's right here in front of her. And we do that sometimes. We keep waiting. You know, oh, it's not my time yet. You know, I'll know. I'll know when it's my time to go up and speak. I'll know. I'll, I'll just, I'll feel it. And again, sometimes our feelings mislead us and that's why we need truth. And Jesus is saying, there's no reason to wait anymore because I'm right here. If we go to verse 28, it changes everything she's done. It's changed all her norms. Verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And this is the crazy part. I have leaving her water jar highlighted in my Bible because she's left her old water behind. She came to the well to get some water, and Jesus said, this water is going to leave you thirsty again. 
I can give you living water. She didn't just dump her water out. She left her whole jar behind because she is now the jar containing living water. And it's, sim- it's a symbol of her leaving her norms behind and diving into true worship. Because when Jesus breaks our norms, our societal norms, our personal norms, and our religious norms, he empowers us to do the same with his living water and by his spirit. But he empowers us to do the same because look, the reason she came at noon was because all the other women went to get water in the early morning when it was cool. And they'd go together. It was dangerous for a woman to go get water alone. But probably in a mutual agreement, she decided I'm going to go to the well alone because I'm not welcome with the other women. They think I'm unclean. They think I'm unworthy. They think I'm a failure as a woman because five times they've been told that. And suddenly, she's totally willing to run back into the town she was trying to get away from. She runs back to where the most people are that she can think of at that moment. When earlier she was just trying to not talk to anybody, just keep her eyes set, just go about her day. And then Jesus, she goes back and tells everybody. She breaks the societal norm because people wouldn't listen to a woman back then. People wouldn't take the testimony of a woman seriously. People wouldn't take the testimony of a failed, failed woman seriously. Like, you've been divorced five times. Get out of here. You don't know what you're talking about. But that's not true. And she's willing to take those risks and willing to break those norms. She breaks her religious norms because she's willing to admit, this guy could be the Messiah, guys. You've got to come check him out. And instantly, there's something different about her because the people don't shoo her away. They don't say, oh, it's just, it's just that chick again. Don't talk to her. She's crazy. They listen, and they come. And later in chapter, or verse 30, you guys don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Um, or it's not 30. It's... Uh, Where is it? 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And they invited him to stay for two days. And it's a chain reaction because this woman was willing to break those norms to go and tell the town that shunned her about Jesus. And suddenly, Samaritans are inviting Jews to stay in their town for two extra days, to converse, to live, to commune. And so, I'm not saying to go out and start like an anarchist movement. You know, we have rules for a reason. I'm not saying go 16 and 25 in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, amen. That's not what I'm saying. We have rules, we have guidelines, and they're there for a reason. We have ways we go about things. But, I'll read the definition of norm again. Our standards and patterns, especially of social behavior, That is typical or expected of a group, our groups. Those need to go. Because if we keep saying, I'm too young, I'm too young to preach to a church. Or if we keep saying, I'm too old to preach to my grandkids, they won't they won't connect with me. If we keep saying, those kind of people, they don't they don't like my kind of people. I can't talk to my employee like that, or I can't talk to my boss like that. We have all these little itty bitty norms that hold us back from experiencing true worship. But we need both. The living water empowers us. And we can't just go through our day-to-day life like this woman was. Just avoiding people. Oh crap, they might have contact with me. Please don't talk to me. You know? We can't do that. 
And so my challenge is identify those norms in your life. We all have separate norms. I can't preach to every single one of you and tell you your norms and what you're doing because I've got to worry about myself first, make sure I got it right. But identify those norms. Identify what's holding you back in society. Who are you not going to because your people, your ideas don't line up? Who are you avoiding because, oh, people like me, I'm too broken to preach? And why are you avoiding things because, oh, I need to stay in my box. I need to stay in my box. I need to make a checklist. I don't team up with that religion. I don't team up with these kind of people. Identify the norms that are holding you back and allow Jesus to give you living water. Dump out your old water and let him fill you up. That's my challenge for you guys. Spirit and truth. Pray with me real quick. Dear God, I thank you for pushing me past points I would never go. I thank you for bringing me to places I never thought I'd be. All good. I thank you for challenging my preconceptions, for challenging the way I think the world works. And I pray that you continue to do that within me and that you continue to do that with my friends here today. Empower us, God. Step out in faith. We don't need to go all the way. We just need to go that tiniest little bit. We just need to give you those half-truths and you will take us all the way. God, I pray as we go out, we don't start an anarchist movement, that we're good citizens, but that I pray we change the way people think. We challenge people's norms. And I pray that we can accept your living water and we can worship with truth and with spirit. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen.